Hey everybody, it's Dan. Before we start this week's episode proper, I just wanted to wish a very embarrassingly public happy 40th birthday to my co-host Matt Lazowitz. Uh, we were supposed to celebrate uh, at Baltimore Comic Con, but uh, obviously that was in the before times. Uh, so I did the next best thing and got a couple of our podcasting pals to send in some well wishes. Hi, this is Hub from Tighten Up the Defense. And this is Corey, also from Tighten Up the Defense. And we wanted to wish our best friend, Mark Laserman, a happy birthday. I think that's Matt Laserwitz. Really? Are you sure? Yeah, pretty sure. Oh, maybe I've just seen it written down. I, I don't think I've ever pronounced it that way. All right, well, let me try again. Um, hi, this is Hub from Tighten Up the Defense. And this is Corey. And we want to wish our best friend, Mark Laserman, a happy Matt Laserwitz. Is that better? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Happy Matt Laserwitz, Mark. Feliz cumpleaños a ti. Feliz cumpleaños a ti. Feliz cumpleaños a Matt. Feliz cumpleaños a ti. From Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. All right, it's me again. Uh, thanks, Hub and Corey from Tighten Up the Defense and Carrie, Jeff, and Rick from Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Please check out their podcasts because they are great people. Uh, and happy birthday, Matt. Uh, you are my best friend, my brother, and the godfather of my son. And I count myself very lucky that after nearly 28 years of friendship, uh, I still get to talk comics with you week after week. Uh, love you, man. Uh, all right, <laughs> enough feelings. Let's get to the meat. WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQ&A. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week we have the writer of the Image comic series Tartarus and the Comixology original graphic novel Crema, uh, Johnny Christmas. Welcome, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll do the icebreaker to start. Uh, what comics do you remember reading when you first got uh, into the medium? Uh, I think uh, Flash Comics were the first ones that, that really grabbed my attention. Um, I forget which era, but my dad used to bring them home and I would just like read like all these like random out of sequence Flash comic books. Uh, but the first ones that were like mine that, that um, I sought out were uh, the uh, X-Men, like Jim Lee, Claremont X-Men. Those were the ones that like me and my friends were just talking about all the time and trying to hunt down and, and that sort of thing. That's great. Um, how much of a, of a collector were you? You know, you mentioned kind of hunting down old issues, you know. You know, it's funny. Uh, at first, I think I, I collected a little bit just because I thought it was something I had to do. Like I thought, <laughs> oh, or you're into comics. You're supposed to collect them. Uh, but I would just like read them and read them and read them until they started falling apart and stuff. So I didn't, I didn't, I realized, oh, I, I, yeah, collecting doesn't really matter. To, like I did, I do collect them. I still have a bunch, but I don't collect them as collector items. I collect them uh, as resource material, as like objects that um, like, you know, as art objects mm -hmm. and, um, and inspiration. Yeah. Like Absolutely. The, uh, the intrinsic value. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think being an artist, it, it was, uh, it was almost like just building a resource library mm -hmm. um, more than anything else. So uh, this this interview is going to be a, a bit of a Benjamin Button in that we're gonna we're gonna start in the future <laughs> and and move backward through time. 
Agreed. But uh, you, you've got, uh, it was recently announced, you've got three middle grade graphic novels uh, lined up for release through HarperCollins through 2024. Yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, on the one hand, you've got, you know, deadlines to hit in terms of, of you know, scripting and drawing and, and, and all that planned out for like the next, uh, you know, four years. Uh, on the other hand, what's it like to have long-term plans? Because I forget. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know it, it's it's really funny. I live in a I live in a space between two spaces. Like those those two circles that overlap. You know, sure. you have that little weird Venn diagram. Yeah. My entire yeah yeah exactly. My entire life, there's no planning, right? Everything's like you know week to week because of you know uh, uh, COVID nineteen. But but yeah, like my work life for the I've never had this kind of like uh, long term stability in my creative work life ever. Mm-hmm. So I'm juggling, you know, uh, my real life. I've never had this kind of uncertainty, you know, uh, but work life never, never been more so uh, um, planned out. So it's weird, man. It's real so weird. <laughs> it's like at the drawing board, I, I'm like planning, planning, planning. And then when I leave here, it's like, everything's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the whole world is that one cartoon of the dog in the room on fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, where, where are you at in the process of, of, you know, making, you know, working on those books? I am, as we speak, I am thumbnailing right now, uh, the first of the, of the three. So um, hopefully I'll, I'll be penciling pretty soon. We'll get these over and approved and um, hopefully all through the winter, I'll just be penciling like a, a madman. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great. And, and, and for the listener, uh, can confirm, uh, Johnny is sitting at his Cintiq as we are talking. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, we are not slowing him down, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so let's, let's move to, uh, the present, uh, and, and talk a little bit about, uh, Tartarus, your, uh, sci-fi story with, uh, Jack Cole at, uh, Image, uh, about a, uh, a soldier who finds out that she's the daughter of a warlord and abandons her base to learn more about her history and the history of these, these warring empires. Uh, you know, what, what's the origin story for this, this book? Uh, you know, how long ago were you, uh, kind of working on it? Ah, that's a good question. I, I think, uh, back in when it was Tartarus, first I knew I wanted to do something sci-fi like, sure. Uh, and I know I wanted to do like something grand in scope that felt almost historical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, interested in a lot of like just kind of old historical figures who had these lives that went all over the map. You know, uh, they start at one place and end in another. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was thinking how to do that uh, in a way that would be satisfying. And historical fiction doesn't generally sell in North American comics, at least not in the direct market. Sure, sure. Um, and, uh, you know, there's tons of genre that you could do it in. But uh, sci-fi felt like the best fit for that. So I could throw all the characterization into a sci-fi framework. And then I could have all the fun that is sci-fi that I've never gotten to work in before, except for um, uh, when I adapted uh, William Gibson's Alien 3 uh, to graphic novel form. But that was like the only professional sci-fi thing that I'd done. But, you know, actually Tartarus was even before that. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the, that was the origin of it. Um, origin of it was uh was was having all these ideas having this story of a warlord and the kid of a warlord and thinking about like one person's freedom fighter is the other person's um warlord basically mm-hmm. and how uh time space distance and the stories we tell can 
can change that depending on who you are and who's telling you the story. Um, so yeah, all of that, all of that soup of stuff was, was coming together. And when it started to coalesce, it started to coalesce really well when I met Jack and we started talking about just themes and ideas and, mm-hmm. and, um, and what we could do with all of that. And then it all started kind of uh, taking shape. Um, how far back do you and, and uh, Jack go? Uh, at VanCap 2015, I, I I looked at the website. I was seeing who was coming, and I was like, "I'm gonna I, I, let me just see who's coming." And I saw <laughs> that he was there. I saw his art, and I, I thought, "Wow, this guy's phenomenal. He would he would work really well with the sci-fi I want to tell." Because I don't I don't want that um like that hard edge sci-fi, like very angular, very sure. you know clean look. Mm-hmm. Um, which no knock on that, that's great. But I knew Tartarus wasn't going to be that. I knew it was going to be very character driven. So I wanted mm-hmm. to look almost. Um, like Jack's work looks very, um, lack of a better term, it looks like very European, like European uh, BD comic style, mm-hmm. which, uh, which I th- thought was not only beautiful, but it, it was like imbued with a lot of heart. So it could, like I've, like, I've never seen sci-fi look like how Jack renders it. So I knew it would really go over super well. And he didn't even have sci-fi pages, the stuff that I saw. It was, it was kind of like um, fantasy type stuff. Okay. But... His, his character design and his world building, uh, visual world building is so intense. I thought, well, he could totally do this in sci-fi. And in fact, it'd be really cool to have this guy do sci-fi because he's, the stuff he's referencing is not just, you know, um, movies that he's seen, but novels that he's read, books of old folk tales, um, brutalist architecture, like, like he, um, his well runs really deep. So, um, so it was awesome to, to be able to build out a framework and like let him just like fill up this balloon and with with all the jack that that he could get into it it's <laughs> great um i've kind of been i've been describing the series to myself uh as <laughs> as afrofuturist kirby you know i you know you think sci-fi you know maybe the mind wanders to star wars star trek you know that stuff but i actually i see a lot of jack kirby's like dynamism and his machinery uh, you know, mixed with this, this, this psychedelic color palette that, that Jack Cole's using and, you know, <laughs> this world that just keeps getting like deeper and deeper with each issue and, and like piling lore on lore on lore and, and very, very new gods in that way. But, uh, you know, how, how thick a Bible for this world did, did you have before, you know, even before Jack set, uh, you know, pencil to paper or, or stylus to, to screen? Uh, it was, it was building and building and, uh, and, then I, what what started to happen was that I had a lot of stuff that I had as a Bible in terms of what the world was, mm-hmm. um, but then I started realizing that I started to geek out a bit on the, on the, on all the like stuff that I wanted to like tell people about how the food processing machines work and stuff, mm-hmm. and I realized that's not where this is at. That's not <laughs> the story. The story is about these people. Mm-hmm. So I had to throw a bunch of that stuff out and just focus on the characters and then the world would suggest itself depending on who these characters were. And that really freed me up to, if I had, um, you know, you know, a really, you know, if I was going to have a story like uh, in issue three, we have a, a date night basically. Mm-hmm. And I thought what would be really cool is we'll have a date night on Tartarus. You have this like tough place, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a romance issue. So in that way we could make the neighborhood that they lived in instead of like me coming with all this stuff like, Jack, this is what happens in that neighborhood. 
once we had this setting and once we knew it was going to be like a tough neighborhood with a date, mm -hmm. uh, then we could go, okay, that neighborhood's a really tough neighborhood. Some neighborhoods are nicer. Some neighborhoods are, you know, mm -hmm. so, and that way we could build a Bible um, around the, the story, you know, so we definitely, you know, we had the, the world, we had the mm -hmm. empires, we had, um, the general conflict and the and of uh, between the world and with uh, Tartarus, but a lot of the other stuff was just like left open for when we got to that time and space. Mm -hmm. So I have a bunch of stuff that I would love to do and, mm -hmm. and use, but I don't know if if we ever will because uh, I want to make sure it serves the story instead of just serving um, my geek my geek itches. <laughs> scratching my geek itches sure i, I mean it is it, it's it's nice to know more than the story tells and just you know yeah <laughs> i mean yeah. there's always the potential to release a source book i mean uh greg rooka and eric troutman have been doing a series of them for lazarus so yeah it, it's entirely and, and we try to do uh instead of having how the food processes work in the mouths of our characters like where they mm -hmm. have this huge dump of exposition out of their faces. Uh, we do have places in the book where like you have this extra material where you yeah. we dump stuff there and not really dump it, but like in a, in a very elegant way, we have this uh, fantastic designer, Ben Didier, who, yeah. who's working on it. And so I can like riff with Ben and go like, okay, with this, it'd be really cool if we have X, Y, and Z and just kind of let him go and, and tell more of the um, extra story in a way that's really kind of fun, but that doesn't mess up the flow of the character moment to moment that we're using to string this whole series along. We want the series to be very character driven, yeah. um, but also have a space where we can give a lot of information in a way that that's natural. I, yeah, yeah, I was, and I was gonna bring up Ben's work too, because uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, this year, especially we're, we're starting to see a lot more of those kinds of, you know, finding unique ways to present extra information on, on pages that aren't necessarily, you know, your, your typical panel layouts. And we're seeing a lot more of, of designers getting involved in comics, whether it's Ben Didier or, or, or Tom Muller, or Tim Daniel, uh, Leah Mitternick. Um, you know, it, it's just, another, I think it's just, it's just another great way to kind of enrich, you know, the, the material. Yeah. Because with comics, there's so much freedom. Um, we don't have to, um, we, we're not movies. So we don't have to pretend to be movies. We don't have to um, write our stories in the same way. We don't have to uh, deliver information in the same way. Um, we have this really wonderful uh, medium in which you can tell without really saying anything because it's all very visual. So you have some of what filmmaking has, but we don't have time in our medium so you can move forward and backwards if you want to like there's no there's no one telling that telling you that you can't read it any kind of way you want to and therefore there's no rules on the ways we can tell stories mm -hmm. and and there's you know wonderful people who are telling uh stories in the medium and all sorts of and all sorts of cool ways in the past and i'm sure the future holds all sorts of like interesting ways that people are going to tell stories in the medium so um so yeah so I, I'm, I'm glad all the all the design designers you mentioned, by the way, were fantastic. Um, and, and I'm glad that a lot of uh, designers are getting these showcases, but it's almost like, how can you not when you see their work? Like I, I was looking for a designer for Tartarus and um, 
and I was like trying to figure out someone who had like a nice sensibility who had, um, yeah, I was kind of looking for a sensibility. And then I um, saw Little Bird and, mm -hmm. and um, I saw a lot of what they were doing for online advertising um, or like, you know, Instagram art. And I reached out to Darcy because he lives here in Vancouver, mm -hmm. uh, as do I. And I was like, who are, like, I thought he was doing it. I was like, are you, are you designing this stuff? Like, what's going on? He was like, no, I've got a designer that my, my bud Ben that I've, I've known for years. Like, I think him and Ben, their friendship goes back before Little Bird even started. So, um, so yeah, so he, so he hooked, uh, hooked us up, met with Ben, great guy, smart guy. And uh, we just started, we have this other great creative partner that, that we're um, fortunate to have on the, on the book. Um, so the first trade came out uh, September 30th, uh, just last week as we're recording, and uh, you've got uh, at least up to eight issues solicited. Uh, how far out are you looking to take this series? Well, that's that thing where like people aren't supposed to say <laughs> how far. Fair, <laughs> fair. Um, yep. uh, uh, but we, we definitely have more to go. Uh, we mm -hmm. definitely have a lot more to go. Um, in the second arc, we are going... Uh, spoilers. Every, everyone who hasn't read the first arc yet, <laughs> come back to this. Um, please come back to this. Uh, we are, we are bringing, have you guys read the uh, issue five? Yes. Okay. So like, awesome. Thanks. So <laughs> that makes sense. Good. But um, uh, we're going back to the time before with uh, Hisa and Circa and like what happened to them when they left. Because mm -hmm. when we first saw them, they were trying to kill each other and then we when we see them again they're side by side at the head of an armada so in the second arc um another you know team that i'm fortunate enough to work with uh andrew Cronkey is taking over art uh for the second arc uh and hillary jenkins is coloring them and oh. i'm gonna send you guys a pdf uh great of Jeez. issue six it's insane like the, the work that they're doing i i can't believe it it's I know everybody's supposed to say that, but I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I stand by this. I can't wait for it. Like, I'm sending it all over the place. By the time the, the issue comes out, everybody's going to have read it already. Um, it's like, it's, it's, it's really good stuff. So, um, so yeah, so, uh, so our, our heroes are back in time uh, and we see the development of their relationship that leads them from one pole to the other and what it means uh, for the story going forward. Because the story does, just because we go back in time with these two, mm -hmm. the story still moves forward with everyone else. Like it shows exactly how things are gonna come together. So um, it, should be, it should be really fun. Um, if uh, I have faith that the direct market will hold <laughs> steady, because <laughs> um, I, I love it so much. Um, but, and if it does, you know, we, we hope to, to be putting out new uh, Tartarus issues until we, um, uh, have our say, say what, what we came here to say. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so hopefully, uh, hopefully a while yet. Um, you know, thinking about the fact, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're an artist as well as, as a writer and, you know, you, you, you've done both together and separately, you know, how does that inform how you, you know, work with, with other writers with, you know, Jack and, and with, with, you know, the other people coming on, uh, Tartarus in the second arc and such? Uh, I give, um, that's interesting. I, 
I think being an artist makes my scripts more, I think of a story in a more visual way um, instead of, you aren't going to see too many like scenes of people sitting and drinking coffee in my comics. Cause okay. I, I, I'm not that even the one that's about even the comic about and even that they're walking. You'll notice they're walking and talking and drinking that coffee. You know, there's, there's actually, I think, I think there's one, there's one scene where they're seated drinking a coffee because they need to be seated. But, uh, uh, <laughs> that's um, but, uh, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of, um, movement and I, and I want the I want the scripts to to be enjoyable to draw I want mm -hmm. them to be in, enjoyable to read and I don't want um I don't want that sometimes you open you flip open a page and there's just like you know three pages of seated characters and and walls of exposition and it's and to some readers it feels almost like a threat <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's like you got a cornered you know like ah oh, now I got you you turn the page and now you gotta read this book um and it not uh, and it is a book, so people should be open to reading, you know, uh, lots of stuff. But um, it it is this medium also gives you this wonderful opportunity to to tell the story on the on the fly. So we have this in issue five. There's this sequence where um, uh, Tilda and Mojin, um, these uh, siblings on the opposite sides of, you know, an empire, are having this dialogue of of what they mean to each other and and um, what life they can have together if they leave this place or what life they can have if they stay. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this new bond that they have with blood, even though they just, they do not agree on anything, but they do agree that they love each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted, this was a really important scene in the, in the book, but I didn't want, uh, as the scene builds, I didn't want to lose readers because it would be the fifth page of turning and them sitting there talking and then mm -hmm. people zone out and then they, they might miss the crux, you know? So I, I had a, a kind of like a, a chariot chase where they're like racing these like speeding chariots over the city mm -hmm. while having a talk. Now, of course, in real life, you wouldn't be able to you know, hear each other <laughs> screaming across uh, building tops as you're having this, but with comics, you can do that, you know, which is fantastic. We can have, these people screeching over, you know, this like uh, rising metropolis that's built out of, uh, you know, essentially oil rigs on a death planet, screaming to each other or on like screaming sun chariots, and they can hear each other. And you could, and and through that, we could build peril. Uh, you know, when Mojin fly, flies off his bike, you build this peril, and when she saves him, you see that what she's telling you is not um, a falsehood. She really does care for her brother, and she will do what it takes to save them. But we didn't have her, we didn't have to have her say it because we saw her do it. Mm -hmm. um, and this is over the course of just a conversation. Um, so um, what was the, what was the, <laughs> what was the question? Did I completely, have I veered completely off? No, I don't think you did. Uh, I, okay. I do, th I, I think it started with, with talking about how your work as an artist informs your work with other artists. Ah, but yes. Okay. Also, yeah. I just started thinking about how like in TV and movies, characters can have full conversations in nightclubs and, and at concerts. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, but I, yeah, so I said, I said all that to say that it would be much more enjoyable for Jack to draw like a speeding chariot race than a bunch of folks mm -hmm. sitting around. Um, maybe sometimes it's really fun to draw folks sitting around, but you want to make sure that you don't have too much of that, um, all in one go. Um, 
So, so in that way, I'm always thinking about the artists and I think about what they might like to draw, what they might be interested in, in terms of storytelling. And, and I think as an artist, I, I, I think of story visually. Um, it's almost like twin tracks. It, it, I, I do think of both kind of the same, but I kind of, it's not like one is dominant over the other, but they're always informing each other, mm -hmm. I suppose. It always has been that way um, ever since I was a kid. So uh, there's, there's a tarot theme that runs through Tartarus uh, that I noticed. A lot of the, the, the chapters include this, you know, one sort of tarot image that's done in the, you know, the theme and the, and the style of, of the book. Um, you know, between that and like, you know, Ten of Swords over at Marvel, I feel like I'm getting a little bit of an education <laughs> in, in tarot this year. Was that something that, you know, you had to research for the book or, or wanted to research or, or had already had an interest in going into it? I always had a, an interest in, in alchemy, um, but Jack was really into tarot and he, and he really wanted to, um, well, I, I don't know if he was really into tarot, but I know he really wanted to have it included. Um, mm -hmm. So, which was perfect because alchemy was a huge theme of mm -hmm. the book already at the start. So sure. I thought, well, tarot is perfect. You know, this way we have another visual way to, um, to speak to a lot of these themes without having to uh, give everybody, you know, reprint the emerald tablet for people to reread you know what i mean mm -hmm. so um uh so i did have to do quite a bit of research which was really fun research because uh i i have this interest in the, the topic but as as it is in in life you don't really have the opportunity to research all the stuff that you're interested in because you're, you're just kind of moving from one busy spot in life to the next busy spot in the next uh, area of need but now I had this opportunity to sit down and like read up on the history of tarot cards, the, um, on notable folks who created tarot cards and why, um, the strivings for uh, greater meaning and through tarot and through alchemy and this like uh, searcher's kind of um, uh, spirit. So it was, it was great. Uh, and I'm, I know Jack has done his, his research also on, on a whole heap of stuff. Cause sometimes I'll send him a script and he'll send back um, embellishments on stuff and he'll explain like what he was referencing within um, Tarot uh, in those pages. Very cool. Um, talking about, you know, not wanting to get bogged down in, in, you know, the details when you're actually, you know, making and, and, and laying out the book and everything. Um, there's a data sheet in one of the issues for uh, Kars, the, uh, the guy who pilots the, the Undertaker ship. Yeah. And it mentions under marital status, it, it, it mentioned, it, it says dark void polyamory. Yeah. Uh, again, this is a very small thing in a, in a rich galaxy of, of, of world building, but I'm going to ask anyway, what is Dark Void Polyamory? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, first of all, I thought it would be really, really cool sounding, right? Because they're, uh, they're in the Dark Void um, <laughs> is where that, that, that space is. The planet is cloaked. So the, the, the military installation is like they, they patrol the Dark Void. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about like cars and he's like such a character um, that like what kind of just even in the, in the pages that he's on, it's just like, what is up with this guy? So I was so uh, 
we had an extra page um, in that issue. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to have a data sheet on cards because we don't have a lot of time with them. Um, so let, let's just, let's just, let's just have some fun here. Like, you know, so let me have a thought experiment. I just started like listing all the stuff that he would, he would be up to. Like he, he, would, he seemed like he would be like a really enjoyable guy to be around until he like stabbed you or robbed you. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. Definitely <laughs> spent some time in the joint. He definitely like, you know, he's like, um, but he's also like, uh, there's also, I imagine like an honesty to him so that he wouldn't just have 70,000 relationships all over the place he probably just like hey you know let's all you know let, let's all just you know like i'm gonna be open about having all these 70 relationships so i figure well he'd be uh he'd be poly and he's in the dark void and in the dark void there's probably like these um i was i was thinking and me and jack talked about like every place that the folks are that culture is very important mm-hmm. so like even in like a cloaked area of space they'd have their own rituals and cultures mm-hmm. um and, and the nature of, uh, you know, romantic relationships might take on certain um, expressions just due to time, place, and people who are there, right? So that's, <laughs> that's where that came up with. I typed that out and I, and I like, had a good chuckle. I was like, yes, this is cars. Sure. <laughs> 100%. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, you, def- you definitely hit on something there. Love it. Um, you know, another thing that I was able to appreciate, you know, we talked about the, the, the date issue uh, where where Klinzu meets his uh, uh, date, and uh, I, I very much you know again again that was an issue I appreciate I, I you know I like I like Klinzu as sort of this this poor peacocking sap uh, you know <laughs> that you can't help but root for because uh, he's still one of the the major players in the book but uh, you know I appreciated that in, in space or or the future you know however you want to describe where this is set um, they still have Tinder <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> We had so much fun coming up with the the star crossed app. Yeah, you know, like star crossed lovers. So um and uh yeah and that that uh he yeah he's such a, a peacocking kind of just like a you know braggadocious type that he would not he would not uh, if if a hot date's in a war zone yeah he'll go like if, if nothing else just to let everybody know that he'll go like even if he does have fear he's not going to let you know he, he's afraid to do it mm-hmm. or maybe he's just that um oblivious um so i i thought it'd be and and also i thought it'd be a very interesting way to 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 trap someone also like if if you're like if you're on a death planet and you have like this dating app, like, you know, like, and some rube wants to come down to death planet, you know, and, <laughs> and he's warned, everyone tells him like, dude, what are mm-hmm. you doing? You know, but he does it. And then, you know, things happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tinder and space Tinder. And, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, you know, we, we started this all kind of talking about, planning you know planning when when the world's on fire but uh you know this book like a lot of others got hit with the pandemic pause uh toward the you know toward the beginning um how did you you know take that initial news that things were going to be shutting down for you know at the time an indeterminate amount of time and you know were you able to use that time to kind of keep putting you know putting the work into the story or you know maybe other projects yeah, yeah, we, we had, um, 
it was weird. We did have time, obviously, um, but we weren't sure if we should use it because we weren't sure if, because by, by this point, uh, mm -hmm. Andrew was, um, Jack was finishing, uh, I think issue five, and Andrew was already cooking on issue six. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, you don't want folks working away on, on a project that might not keep going. Because based on issue one, we knew we were going to be able to get a second arc. Mm -hmm. um, but with COVID, everything was up in the air. So we, we had a talk and, and everybody was comfortable moving forward uh, in spite of the uncertainty. So we were, we were able to, to utilize the time, but it, it wasn't as, as smooth. It wasn't like, all right, cool. Like we, we didn't, um, we're not missing a beat. We're just hard charging head. We, we lost two months on the shelf. So we have two months more in the pocket. Like it, it wasn't mm -hmm. quite like that. Um, and yeah, it, it, it rocked our sales and I don't know, man, it's, it's really weird. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're still going, you know, and we haven't missed a month. We haven't missed a week, you know, um, based on like our own schedule, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like when diamond stopped, they stopped us, but we didn't, we never, we haven't missed anything thus far, which is, which is really crazy actually, in spite of everything being on fire. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so now we're going to move on to Crema, uh, your comicsology exclusive uh, with uh, Dante Luis. Um, and uh, here's the copy for those of our listeners who aren't familiar. Um, Esme, a barista, feels invisible like a ghost. Also, when Esme drinks too much coffee, she actually sees ghosts. Yara, the elegant heir to a coffee plantation, is always seen, but only has eyes for Esme. Their world is turned upside down when the strange ghost of an old-world nobleman begs Esme to take her letter from NYC to a haunted coffee farm in Brazil to reunite him with his lost love of a century ago, bringing sinister tidings of unrequited love. How did this book find comicsology as, it, as its home? Did they come to you? Did you come to them? The, the digital exclusive market is still a bit opaque to me who's used to, you know, the, the print market as a thing. Right. Um, first of all, I'm going to have you read all my, uh, my, 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 <laughs> my pitch copy. That's, that's, I love it. That's great. Um, I'm there for you. <laughs> when those so, HarperCollins uh, books are close to launch. You know, I know. Hey, I'll circle back. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a knock on, on your door. Please read. Um, so uh, what happened there was that uh, we had a, a early editor on the book who's no longer who's no longer on the book who thought, oh, you know, uh, it'd be cool to pitch comicsology. They're looking for stuff. And then, um, which I thought, oh, that'd be really cool because I, I haven't, like, like you said, I'm in the same boat. I didn't have any experience um, working primarily for digital comics um, or, you know, all the, all the comics that we do obviously uh, find a home digitally uh, ultimately, but not, they're not, uh, I think about the page paper when I'm, I'm creating. So I'm thinking about page turns. I'm thinking about, mm -hmm. thinking about all that stuff. Um, but with comicsology, it was different, like, you know, cause you'll have expanded um, panels. So, so one of the things that I found out after writing the first draft was like, oh, all the splash pages have to come out because it doesn't really mm -hmm. work. So, um, 
so that was really interesting. So, so we uh, uh, got hooked up with Dante. I pitched Dante two ideas. One was about coffee and one was about tea. And, uh, and uh, Dante really loved the coffee one and sent it to Comixology. And I just thought that, I was like, yeah, it's not gonna, I didn't think it was gonna happen. Cause, cause I, I don't know, you know, I liked it so much. I thought there's no way this thing's gonna happen, you know? <laughs> and, and sure enough, they got back to me like really quickly. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, good, let's do it. And <laughs> what? So, um, so, you know, we were off and running. I had not a lot of time to do it, like from, from uh, green light to, to handing off a uh, script to Dante, but uh, yeah, so that's how it happened. It was, it was kind of, it was suggested uh, that that'd be a, a cool pay, place to pitch. We pitched, they, they took it and, and they are uh, much like uh, Image, very hands-off. Like there was, there was a conversation at the green light and then there was collecting the, the book in the end. It wasn't a lot of, there wasn't any, um, editorial, any of that. So we were left to our own devices with that. Um, Atla Krasny was our um, editor on it. So, so she came on board and, and helped me and Dante out in, on an editorial sense. And, um, and yeah, and we handed it off and that was that. So it was, it was a fun experience, it was a fun experience. How did you uh, connect with Dante? It's interesting, as you mentioned earlier, that Jack has that European style, that sort of Mobius, uh, I can never pronounce his name, Jorowski, yes, that's it, (laughs) vibe, and it's a different vibe on Dante, more of a kind of softer, less pervy Milo Manara kind of thing (laughs) with those soft lines, Uh, (laughs) um, that one was a hit. Uh, <laughs> uh, how did you? Uh, how did you guys connect? <laughs> I love that. Um, uh, same editor uh, had worked oh, with Dante on uh, Dante. Done some stuff on um, uh, To Comics has uh, an anthology. I think it was called Wayward Sisters, um, and there was another one as well. So I'd seen Dante's work there and I thought, wow, like this guy really has something. It's this very ornate, beautiful, um, lush South American uh, thing. I wouldn't even call it a style because it's so unique. It's, yeah. it's Dante's style. I, I guess it's a style, I don't even know what it is. It's like Dante's language, you know, um, his creative you know, visual language. So um, when, when he was suggested, I was like, whoa, that'd be really cool, but and him being in Brazil, I'd, I'd always wanted to, I've always been fascinated with Brazil. And I thought, oh, this would be cool because now we could tell a story about Brazil and the artist is actually in Brazil. Like, um, not just in Brazil, but the artist will say, yeah, that, that doesn't fly or, oh, this works or, oh, that, that's right on the money or oh, maybe you want to do that. And, and he did. He's like, oh, maybe you want to change that name. That doesn't, or maybe this and the other one. And like, um, like every artist I work with, I, I, they are... The, the visual bosses of the book and I let them do their thing. You know, there's that stuff I want in there for story reasons, but I, I like to give a lot of leeway because I know what it's like as an artist where someone's going, you know, you don't want, you don't want to choke the creative. You don't want it to feel like a job. You want them to come to it with like that energy. Um, and I've, I, I've never been, I've never been steered wrong with that. Like it's always 
people are always doing like better work and their best work. Uh, and in my experience, because they just have this freedom to just fly. So, um, so that's how, how we got hooked up. Uh, another suggestion that I thought, oh, it's like, nah, that's not gonna, that's not gonna happen. Like, this guy's art's too cool, you know? And, uh, and he, he came on board, he loved the story. Um, he loved the ability to tell a story in um, Brazil. Uh, and he loves coffee, so it worked out quite well. Speaking of loving coffee, um, your dedication for the book uh, is to the two coffee shops where you did much of your writing. Uh, what is your uh, particular poison at a coffee shop? <laughs> uh, I, I would say I'm, I'll, I'll, I have two answers for that. Right now, I can, I can play the sophisticated because I, I'll have an Americano black. That's what I do, you know, and uh, I don't add anything to it. I just, I just take it uh, like that and I enjoy it. However, I was late to coffee. I started drinking coffee when I started uh, drawing Sheltered back in 2013 because mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden, we were, Sheltered was supposed to be a five-issue thing, but our numbers came in for number one and we were like, oh, we could probably go a little bit longer. So instead of me doing a five-issue thing, I was suddenly on a monthly comic book. <laughs> so I needed to get, I needed to get some uh, pep real fast. So I, I got, uh, got into coffee in a, in a big way. But being really new to it, uh, the, what, the bitter taste that I enjoy now, I uh, wasn't, wasn't like super keen on it then. Mm -hmm. So I would like throw tons of sugar and milk in it. It was basically, it, the way I used to carry on with my coffee has been described to me as a hot milkshake, <laughs> basically, <laughs> just sweet and filled with dairy. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, after a while, I realized, uh, oh, it's not just the caffeine I'm here for. I'm here for the, like, the, the amped up sugar, and I'm drinking tons of this stuff a day. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try and cut cold turkey on the other stuff and just, just be true to the caffeine. And, uh, and it worked out. I, I, haven't been, I haven't been back since. Like, you know, when it's, you know, pumpkin latte time or something, <laughs> pumpkin spice latte time. Like, I'll, I'll do one for for shits and giggles but and then and and those are like way too sweet now like mm -hmm. everything with sugar in it now is way too sweet in terms of coffee so yeah so th those are my two my my it's there that's this is where i am and that's where i came from i i, I haven't left the coffee milkshake it's crazy maybe one day you gotta, <laughs> you, <laughs> I, 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 didn't eat, I didn't eat a lot of sugary cereals when I was a kid, you know. Yeah. So now I guess that's I'm drinking them basically. <laughs> yeah, and I and, and I figured out I was like, oh, I, you know, I knew this beforehand about myself. <laughs> Low key sugar addict, you know, like so. This was just this other way of me like feeding the demon because at least mm -hmm. if you're chewing it, you have time to contemplate. Like, yeah, here I am again. Here I am again. <laughs> sugar. Got no self-respect, but like when I'm drinking, it's like, oh, I'm just saying, I, I, I gotta have some coffee for work, you know. It's no, no harm, no foul. So, um, yeah, that's that's what goes on. So, when you conceived of this the story, what came first, the love story or the ghost story, or was it always initially sort of, or always initially? That's completely redundant. Was it always wrapped up together? You know, it's funny. I, I wanted it to be more of a romance, but I thought, you know, I thought horror was going to be a better sell. So I was like, oh, I'm going to sell it as a horror and then we'll get some romance in there. It'll be a haunted romance or whatever, but accent on the haunted. 
but the note that we got back from Comixology, which I was super delighted uh, to hear and knew then that, oh yeah, these, this is the right place for the book, was that they were like, oh, this is great. We want the haunted romance, but we really, really lean towards the romance. So it was, it was like awesome. So, so at that, at that point in time, I was like free to just like write this romance that um, the drama of the romance and the, you know, um, interpersonal coming apart and coming together is amplified by the horror, uh, by this extra-worldly, um, these extra-worldly happenings. It's just an extension of what's going on with them personally. Um, when uh, Esme goes to Haywire with the coffee, like it presents in a world that, in a way that affects everyone around them, not just her after a while. Um, uh, you know, Yara's pulling away affects, you know, what goes on with Esme, which goes on with the world, you know? So um, horror was a really great way to, to amplify the themes of the book. Uh, the, this, we have a character that has a bit of an obsessive situation where they think it's love, but we know it's not. And, and they're convinced that it is love. And it, it's uh, this vampiric um, thing. So you see the dark side of what, uh, of obsession could be. And then you have these two lovers who are trying to find their foothold with each other and with love and a healthy love, you know? So, um, so horror was a really great way to, to amplify those, um, those themes and feelings and, and like strengthen the backbone of what we were trying to say in the, in the book. Segues nicely into the next thing that I was going to uh, ask about because so many of those genres that were you know, big in the 50s and 60s before the return of the superhero have slowly started creeping back over the course of the past 15, 20 years. I mean, crime comics are a whole big thing. There's sci-fi and fantasy books that are tentpole books. In the past mm-hmm. couple of years, we've seen a bunch of Westerns. But romance comics are still sort of slow to the game. I mean, there was Strangers in Paradise for all those years. But even since then, there's only been a real handful. What about the romance comic sort of spoke to you? Um, I, I, well, I, I just like love, I just like romance in general. Like, I think it's like, it's a great, um, basically... I don't see that much difference between romance and a lot of action dramas or, um, or like in, in a romance movie where the kiss would happen or, or a handhold or something that amplify, that's amplified through their relationship will happen as a fight scene in an action movie. You know, the, the emotional uh, uh, crossroads that our characters are coming towards has hit a breaking point and something has to happen. Now, is that something a, a romantic embrace or is that something, uh, you know, a kick to the face, you know, and then that's, and that's, that's basically the difference. So it, so I've found that with, um, with romance, you have to, um, you don't have the, this is going to sound wrong by calling it a cheat, but it's kind of like a cheat. Like I, at any point you can open a scene in any story with someone getting punched in the face. And you got you got readers' attention, you know, um, and it's 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 awesome. Like most most uh, action things start with an action scene because it will get your attention. 
but it's hard, harder, I find, to build through a character thing because you have to keep people interested even though nothing, um, nothing obviously quote unquote interesting is happening. The only thing, that, only thing that's happening that should be interesting is a revelation of character. So you meet this person and in very short period of time, you've got to hook your reader into caring about this person without this person doing anything spectacular. This person wakes up in the morning and makes coffee. How do I keep you with me while they're making coffee? And as a, as a writing um, um, experiment or challenge, uh, that was just fun because it's just like, okay, like what's the most outlandish thing they could say to each other that's believable? Or what's the, uh, okay, well, this one's a, you know, this one believes that, you know, aliens built, you know, you know Machu Picchu or whatever, or uh, Stonehenge, <laughs> Stonehenge or something, right? You know, like, so like, and, and that, that gives a chuckle because we've always, we've all worked with that person. You know, some of us are that person. And then, but then that, and that person's still your friend, you know? And it's just like, you're like, you're just like, oh, here's Josie, you know, she believes, you know, whatever, but she's Josie, you know? And so that, that's a ring of truth that you can throw into a romance that it's not just um, the relationship between the lovers. It's a relationship about of everyone else. It's like you're landscaping this entire big lawn of, uh, these interweaving relationships, which you do in action as well, but you can do it a lot, uh, lot with a lot more. Um, it's a lot more subtle in romance, and and therefore a lot more fun, a fun challenge. And then there's of course the telenovela, which yeah. can have both the kiss and then yeah. followed immediately by the slap. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which you mentioned is one of the in the back matter is one of the sort of influences. And uh, are you? Were telenovelas something that you were familiar with going in? My experience is purely with the American adaptation, Jane the Virgin. Uh, but was that, is, is that something you were going, or the minute you were like, okay, this is going to be South America. This is, do, do I want to look into some of the, the, those sort of Mexican and South American and Central American art forms, one of which is the telenovela? Yeah. Well, I grew up in Miami, so there were always, um, even even amongst like uh, when we were in high school, there were oh, I can't remember the ones now, but I remember there were one of them took off like crazy amongst like high schoolers, and kids would try to get home in time to watch this tel- telenovela. So it was like it was it was weird how you know uh, it was still. You know, my, my parents are immigrants and, and a lot of my friends were, um, you know, children, uh, first generation children of immigrants. So like telenovelas were still like a, like a part of that, that place that you straddle between your parents' world and your world. Um, so I was, yeah, I was, very, I was very much familiar with it. And I, and I loved that having the drama of a romance and having a character like, uh, you know, Jerry, who's a, the the film star who became a bad TV star and, and, you know, and, and, you know, you have you know, Brazil and you've got, uh, and it's a love story. I just thought it would be so fun to have that as another thing that we weave through the story. That's kind of like a wink, like, Oh, a telenovela. This is kind of like a telenovela, isn't it? You know, there's a ghost story and there's a haunted coffee farm and there's, you know, uh, a lovelorn barista who sees ghosts when she drinks too much, you know, like it's, you can almost hear the music as they go into commercial break, you know? Uh, <laughs> so I thought by, by, by kind of putting it right under the light, 
it would give us a, a dose of fun where the reader would go like, oh, that's, that's what they're doing, you know? So, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I immediately connected from pretty much page one with Esme because I'm also one of those people that sleep is the enemy. Uh, <laughs> not, not because I'm afraid of monsters. For me, it's more like I feel like it's wasted time as, as much as my wife is always like, no, sleep is wonderful. And it's like, but, but I could be reading or watching TV or working or reading. Um, so by that same, I take it that that is something that you yourself kind of brought to that. That's a bit of you in that character. Oh yeah, I, I um, I'm I'm a lot better now, especially with with sleeping. I'm a lot better with sleeping. I do enjoy it, but it's mostly because I work in comics. I'm tired all the time. <laughs> but I, I used to take it almost. This is gonna sound funny. Almost like a personal affront that I had to sleep and I had to eat. That I had to like. <laughs> You know, I, you know, uh, I, I was this, this, you know, artist and I wanted to draw all the time. And like, like, especially in high school, like I was just like, really, you know, when you, you come online as a human being, you know, like uh, you're always you and you always have your interests and you just, you take them as um, for granted. It's like, oh yeah, I like to run or read comics or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then you kind of realize that it's a choice. Like you have a choice at a certain point, like, oh, I choose to read comics. Oh, I'm really into comics. Wait a minute. So I can read more comics if I want to? I can draw more comics if I want to? I can just... Host a podcast about comics if I wanted to? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can just do it, right? So I, when, when those lights started to come on, I was just really into whatever it is I was into. And then I had to stop every like three or four hours to eat something. It really annoyed me. It was like so frustrating. Um, and then sleep was just even worse because like, like you said, like you're, you're, you're gone. Like it's like lights out for like a really large, like eating's bad enough where you have to stop for 20 minutes, but like <laughs> sleep, come on, man. You know? So um, I'm, I'm better with it now, but it's when I'm, when I'm busy, I do get, I still get resentful about eating. I enjoy it, but I, <laughs> I, I rather enjoy it. I, I love, I love, I love eating when I'm actually eating, but like that lead up when you're like, Ugh. I gotta stop and I gotta go this and I gotta go that and this, that and the other. You know, it's too much. <laughs> Preparation of food. It's like, can't it all just be ready and in my mouth? Yeah. <laughs> Every day. Every single day. Yeah, I, I, this thing, multiple times a day. Like, it's enough already. Uh, how much research? went into this book outside of stuff you'd already sort of known. I mean, I'm, I'm a tea drinker, not a coffee drinker, but now I have all sorts of interesting <laughs> coffee facts. Um, and you, I mean, just earlier mentioned how historical fiction doesn't necessarily sell in the direct market, but there is very much a historical aspect to this, this the, the ghost story anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did a I did a whole heap of um, research, and and I and I was under the gun. I had like a month to do it, so like it was, it was, it was like trying to absorb as much as I could. Uh, and then, as as you both probably know, and and anyone who's got to you know cobble together research, 
you throw out most of your research, you throw out like tons of it. Like most of it, most of it just happens to inform the edges of your world or mm-hmm. what your characters know, but you're not even going to have the opportunity to show or, um, or put into the work. So I, a lot of it was, um, a lot of it around, was around coffee, actually. Like I did a whole bunch of research around coffee about how to make it, how many, uh, you know, bars for, you know, pressure, you know, the barometric pressure in the machines to make a, a you know, the certain type of coffee, the type of grind you want to have. Um, then I lived in Brooklyn, so that was easy. Um, but, you know, um, uh, researching on Minas Gerais, where um, where our story it's kind of it's kind of like a place like that in Brazil, um, a coffee uh, growing region, of Brazil amongst other things. Um, so yeah, it was it was uh, and then uh, and then every every little pocket that you dive into, there's like more research. So there there were research on telenovelas. Like all right, let me let me bone up on it to to instead of just like my high school memories of telenovelas, what's going on with them now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to figure out stuff about Jerry and like who she might be, you know, um, as a, a film star who ends up on a bad TV show, which was just kind of like a thing, like, um, what was, what was his name? Uh, Fred Gwynn? Was that his name? The, the, the guy from the Munsters? Was he, I think he was a stage actor, right? Was that, he was, was he a film or a stage? I think he was... Oh, I can't remember, but I know I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. So there's tons of folks like that who, who've had second careers in this other medium uh, and went on to great success in, in that medium, especially television when it was, you know, burgeoning, but they didn't respect it, you know? So I thought it would be kind of cool to have a character like Jerry, who was just this glamorous film star, and she ends up in TV on this show that obviously tons of people enjoyed but she did not. So, uh, but of course, none of that gets in there. Like, it's just kind of like uh, this, this, it gets in there in the way that she moves through the world, basically. But you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, so yeah, there's, there's tons of research and um, it was such a short period of time. A lot of it's just kind of like, uh, just like sucked right in and flown right out. But um, I am very happy about the stuff that, that stayed, which was mostly a, a lot of the coffee stuff. Did, did it make you more conscious of your coffee choices? Like, or like are you like all fair trade now or, or anything like that? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Um, I, I am more, I am more uh, conscious about machinery and, um, and the like, but, but I also, you know, when you get really into a thing and you get really, really into a thing and then you get that, um, that new convert thing. And sure. I didn't, yeah, I did not want to become uh that unbearable coffee snoot guy <laughs> because I, cause, cause I knew more about coffee than like all of my friends. So I could have been like, I could have been that guy. I could have like, you know, I could have like sold everything I own and got a, like a nice coffee machine. So my friends would come in and there'd be bare walls, but this like machine on this like marble pedestal and they like, Oh, where's your stuff? And I was like, Oh, you know, and I'd say something real annoying and then i like make the machine i'd make the coffee but i make them feel real bad about it the whole time just like oh no don't don't put the don't put the saucer there you know or don't uh, oh oh you're gonna drink it like that you know <laughs> so i wanted to make sure i kept it uh close to the ground and um so, so <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't i didn't want to be that guy <laughs> uh and then of course what are you going to do with that tea pitch 
you know, I, as, as soon as I get some time, actually, I wanted to swing it by uh, Dante, uh, actually. So if you're listening, Dante, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, because I, I think it could be really beautiful. It's, it's a little bit more dreamlike mm-hmm. and um, a little, yeah, it, it, was, it was really cool. Uh, it was really cool. It'd be, it'd be fun to do that. Um, maybe with Dante at Comixology, but um, I'm going to try not to overextend myself with the stuff that's on my plate right now. But I, I think about it actually quite a bit. And now a, to, to finish the, our trip through your timeline, <laughs> a, a brief stopover into the past. Um, because uh, as we all, as we have said repeatedly, you know, the world is, is on fire. Um, and uh, as you stumble into the news and see that the world is on fire, do you ever go back and think about the plot of Sheltered, your book with Ed Brisson, and think, yeah. I'm expecting to see that any day now, because I kind of am. I read that book in floppies, and that was at times a hard read not in you know the hard as in laborious but hard as in oh oh and as it got further along and the world those fires started popping up was like oh dear me yeah it was i've never had i've never worked on a book where uh me and my co-creator had so many conversations about how hard it was (laughs) like every like every issue is just like oh man like like it would Ed would be like, oh man, you won't believe what I did, did what I, what I wrote this, this issue, you know, or, or what's, what's like, it's just, it's just, it's just happening. Like it's, it's coming. It's like a natural progression. And we would have these conversations and, you know, we'd uh, call each other bad people for doing the things. <laughs> like, like, Ed, I can't believe you did this. Like, how could you do this? Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was really interesting how, how, um, and since it was my first uh, ongoing comic book experience um i wasn't sure if that was normal or not but now that i've gone on to do more i realized just how how much that touched a nerve even with us creating it um and and because because of the reality of it like and even then 2013 were those are salad days right and um but (laughs) but even even 2019 right So like so so even even then the stuff that horrified us was just how um the stuff that horrified us the most was the stuff that was closest to like oh yeah that could happen oh yeah that's that's probably happening right now oh like folks are totally doing that um someone totally feels this way and if given a, a certain um push um they could become Lucas like you know the thing that we thought was so compelling about Lucas and was that everything that he did was justified through his, his point of view. He thought the world was going to end and he was going to take steps to protect uh, the people he cared about and make sure that the world continued. So, you know, if a few people get hurt along the way, he's going to preserve the human race, you know I mean? Like, so, so everything he was doing was like from this really true place, which made it more disturbing because you know, wearing a different pair of shoes, any of us could be Lucas, you know? Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of conversations about, and a lot of sympathy for the characters too. Yeah. That was a rough one. <laughs> An enjoyable rough one. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> 
Um, what are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Um, well, this is that question where everything tries to like squeeze right out of my <laughs> head. You know, I'm reading right now. we get I'm that reading. every week. Yeah, just, we still <laughs> ask it, but we get that every week. Like, it's, oh, it's always like a meant to be a polite conversational question. And right. For some reason, it, it feels like a gotcha in the moment. Yeah, it's just like the sweat starts. Um, you know, actually what I'm reading right now, I'm reading, uh, it's, it's going to make me sound like I'm, I'm very deep and pretentious, but it just, I just heard it on a radio show. So I got it and I'm reading it now. Um, uh, Meditations by uh, Marcus Aurelius, mm. um, some Stoic philosophy. So that's that's really helpful, especially uh, during the times of COVID, to kind of think about uh, some of the tenets of Stoicism. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, he died of the plague, you know. So like uh, he, there's there's some um, he he knows. <laughs> so he's a he's a useful person to to turn to. Um, what else am What else am I reading? There's like. Um, my, I'm, I'm trying to envision my stack of comics right now. Um, did I finish the latest Deadly Class? That's usually like the first thing that I go to. Um, yeah, and I'm reading a lot of young reader middle grade stuff since I'm, mm-hmm. I'm now working um, in that space. So it's, it's really helpful to, to read like the stuff that, that like the classics, but also um, the exciting stuff that's going on in the space right now. Mm-hmm. And um, because uh, I'm not a 12 year old, so I, I wasn't like super versed up on, on everything that was coming out. There were like certain things where folks were like, oh, you got to read Amulet. So yeah, okay, cool. Sure. Um, but not everything that else in the space. So like right now um, I'm like reading tons of stuff in the space, which is really, really cool. There's a lot of good stuff there, which is, um, which is, which is really, really awesome. So, yeah. It's definitely where it's at. Um, Johnny, this has been a great chat. Uh, as we're wrapping up, how can people uh, follow you online and, and your work and everything like that? Uh, you can follow me on um, Instagram, Johnny Xmas. Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at J underscore XMAS. Uh, yep, that's an underscore at J underscore XMAS. Uh, I'm also uh, on Facebook. And I have a website that I haven't updated that I need to called johnnychristmas.com. Um, but yeah, I'm around. I'm around online. Um, I usually just say, hey, here's a new thing I'm working on. And I, I pop off. I, I'm not super uh, conversational online. Um, it's probably better off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it's, uh, you know, I always like, I remember when, when Twitter first uh, showed up, I was, instinctively i was like oh that's a bad idea (laughs) (laughs) this can come yeah i was like oh like well you know also i think and and not not a knock on on what they've done because they've obviously obviously built a a successful platform that a lot of people use i use you know um but i've always been um i like to i like context and i like to speak to like when i walk into a room i speak to my you know my dad differently than i speak to you know, my buddies, you know, so context sure. matters. Mm-hmm. And um, so it felt weird to have um, Twitter always felt like, like I was walking into the middle of the town square with the blindfold on and a megaphone just saying stuff, you know, I don't know who's out there. I don't know who's listening. I just, you know, I'm just like uh, talking about, you know, I bought these shoes, the two sizes too small. And I, you know, or, or, or you get like, oh, really? Who cares? <laughs> like, who cares about me? Like, who's out That's... there who's like, 
You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's, it boggles my mind. So I'm just like, okay. So I, I, I hop on there and I, and I do engage um, where I do. And there are people I enjoy on there. But for the most part, it's like, hey, everybody, you know, it's just an awareness tool. Here I am. I got some stuff that's coming out. I think it's really cool. So maybe you should check it out. And then, then I, then I pop back over to the drawing board. <laughs> and my work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, well, you still can. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's great. And we'll uh, definitely let you get back to the, uh, the, uh, the drawing tablet there. Johnny, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. I really, really appreciate it. This was fun. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A and WMQ Comics are now part of the Xavier Files media empire, meaning you can find all our great comics coverage, along with some of the best X-Men and Marvel criticism around, at XavierFiles.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at XavierFiles.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones Match Club Podcasts, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Lan M from Lan's Vids. You can follow WMQ Comics and Xavier Files on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. And until next week, in the immortal words of Abraham Lincoln, be excellent to each other. WMQA.